0: From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, digital currencies may erode dollars' role in global finances. How much can your data be sold for on the dark web? And in our main story, I talked to Dave Jevons of CipherTrace about their KYC Global Risk Report. All coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Happy Mid-Autumn's Festival to everyone. Today is October 1st, 2020. And besides it being Mid-Autumn Festival, Here's another fun tidbit of information. Did you know the last time there was a presidential debate, Bitcoin's price was $630. That was in 2016. Bitcoin's price was $630. And of course, as we know, coming up, we're going to talk about the crypto prices. But once you hear Bitcoin's price today, think, just remember, only four years ago, it was $630. Just imagine. That's like a what a 15x gain imagine if you 15x it from today talk about moon anyway let's get into those crypto prices here comes the money here we go money talks. now i'm recording this at 1 p.m eastern standard time and today is not a good day for the market however just remember what i just said Bitcoin four years ago, last presidential debate, was six hundred and thirty dollars. Today it's sitting at ten thousand five hundred and ten dollars, down one point eight percent from yesterday. Ethereum three forty-eight sixty-seven, down two percent from yesterday. Litecoin forty-five eighty-seven, down a half percent from yesterday. Chainlink 955, down 2.2% from yesterday, and XRP slipping 2% at 23.6 cents. Total market cap for all of cryptocurrency is $337.8 billion with a BTC dominance of 57.6%. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to David Jevons, the CEO of CypherTrace, and we're discussing their release just today, their geographic risk report, and where they map the virtual asset service providers and where they have deficient KYC practices. It sounds a little boring, but we actually dig pretty deep into KYC practices, virtual asset service providers, and if this is even useful to the industry. So without further ado, here's Dave. Great to talk to you, Matthew. I am I, talking to you right now because of this report that you put out, and the report is Cypher Trace's Geographic Risk Report about virtual asset service providers and KYC by jurisdiction. Can you tell me about this report, sir?
1: Yeah. It, basically, what we did was we've, we've created the world's first report looking at all types of virtual asset service providers. So that's exchanges, currency swap services, OTC desks, DEXs, and other crypto services. And we basically evaluated their Know Your Customer or KYC capabilities and then ranked them and then provided a geographic mapping and some analysis around which countries, um, which types of entities are um, risky. Uh, according to kyc scores or are less risky or are are strong as far as supporting a kyc regulation okay, so what is a
0: kyc score how do you how do you measure that?
1: Yeah, so a know your customer score a kyc score is measured in three ways. what we call weak um, or a red score when you read the report would be an exchange that allows you to set up an account with pretty much no verification of your identity, pretty much an email address, and allows you to trade crypto, or even to access banking to crypto services. The second category is what we call porous, or you'll see it in the report as yellow. Um, Porous means that they do some verification of your identity, but only if you want to trade higher amounts of crypto. But if you want to trade, let's say, for example, two Bitcoins per day or less, you can still get away with an email address. And then Strong would be the um, exchanges and other virtual asset service providers that require real identity verification. So looking at your identity, perhaps proof of um, your address, and then maybe a text message, uh, a video chat, or um, a non-replayable photograph that uh, gives them a much higher confidence that you are who you say you are, and that you're not a synthetic identity you just made up. So this is important for regulatory compliance. Um, Exchanges and other VASPs around the world are increasingly being categorized as money service businesses, which means they have to comply with the same regulations that PayPal would have to, or a bank or Western Union, a money transfer business. And as part of those requirements is know your customer. So you have to know your customer's name, address, um, other information about them. So that that can be used for um, scanning for sanctioned entities, which would mean, you know, people that are on lists that um, you're not supposed to send or receive money to or from or terrorist lists. We were talking off air
0: about this. And, and I, I saw some countries that are on there that get a green, for example, Mexico and Mongolia, while the US is a yellow and there are some red countries or with weak KYC. You said that this was more of an average uh, about you know, how many exchanges are there and you know, uh, you know, juxtaposing that to your score. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got to those grading levels?
1: Yeah. So um, they are literally averages of all of the virtual asset service providers in that region or in those countries. When you, if you look further down in the report, you will see that it's broken out by region. So for example, you can look at Europe with quite a lot of green scores. So almost 100 exchanges in Europe that have strong KYC, about 40 that have um, porous, but still 90 or more that have, require no KYC at all because regulation across Europe is very spotty. So it's really an average. It's, it's more interesting to dig down into the details of the different regions and and see what it is. I would also point out that you know some regions like Mexico have a very few number of exchanges or other VASPs, and those few uh, have strong KYC controls. Whereas if you look at, for example, North America. Um, while exchanges generally have extremely good KYC processes because you know they're getting regulated by FinCEN or other agencies up in Canada, for example, what ha- what's happening is we're we're this we've got a great innovation in the United States around DeFi. We also counted DEXs in this model, and if you look at DEXs, pretty much none of them have any KYC, so you'll mm-hmm. see there that. If you take out DEXs from the model, you, you, you know, the United States becomes much more green. OK,
0: so that, that was actually going to be my next question, if you included DEXs or not. So thank you for answering that. Part of the ethos of cryptocurrency is being anonymous, being, you know, having a way to uh, operate outside of banks and regulations and stuff like that. This report seems to be doing two things. One, showing that there is a that there are people that are Complying with regulation, and the other one is is showing that you that the crypto space is actually living up to what it's supposed to be doing. It's ethos. It's kind of you know direction. It's why it was created in the first place. Uh, what are you
1: trying to get out of this report besides just uh, confirming what we kind of already know? It's the first report of its kind to really shed light onto what's actually happening in which regions where uh, compliance is being effective as far as KYC or not. That's really what it's doing. Is it's really giving you an analytic view of over 800 cryptocurrency exchanges and VASPs in over 80 countries to see what's actually happening in those, in those regions. Okay, so again, I guess this is the obvious next question is, why, why is that important? What do you want
0: people to look at this and go, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand the importance of this report.
1: So this report is extremely important to, um, for example, banks who are looking to bank cryptocurrency companies who want to gain access to fiat rails. So one of the things about crypto is... You know, we definitely support everyone's right to have private transactions, P2P transactions, and those things should not have controls. People should be able to move money around where they want. The reality of of the situation is that when you try to convert to fiat, that is regulated in every country in the world. Um, So what is the difficulty of a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges? Getting a bank account, getting bank accounts in multiple countries, having access to the euro, the dollar, the yen this is a challenge. What this allows banks and other providers to start to do is understand that there's a metric and a model where you can judge an exchange and say, you know what? You're actually pretty clean. I would like to offer you banking services because today it's very difficult for exchanges to get access to the fiat payment rails. Mm, mm, Really mm. a positive here, which is let's show the banks and the regulators where, how to measure it, that it's safe and that, which exchanges is easy to do business with, they can trust, and which ones they are going to get whacked by regulators on. But that there is a methodology that they can use to basically grant more banking access to exchanges around the world.
0: When you have, and this is more of a philosophical kind of question, because I'm trying to figure out like... If this is for the financial uh, systems to see who we can, who they can trust, um, for when it comes to making partnerships with like crisp crypto exchanges uh, and and have that on on ramp off ramp uh, for their customers. Um, but you, but when the crypto space and the blockchains, you know, designed to be able to u- take your crypto and, and use it anywhere. When it comes to if you're not just using Coinbase, even though that may be really well KYC and, and rated, you can still take your Bitcoin or whatever your digital currency is, your virtual asset, and use that Dex or, or send it other places. What? does this really do for the entire system if it doesn't just make more checks and balances and make it harder for the end user myself to use their cryptocurrency and having to do that KYC? Because at the end of the day, my crypto can go anywhere in the world.
1: It can be used to purchase anything in the world. Does it really do anything? Well, are you asking whether KYC does anything or whether reporting on the state of it does anything? Yeah, we'll start with that. Does KYC do anything? Sure. KYC does a lot. So, okay. <laughs> so people can say, you know, hey, I don't, I, I want to be able to access banking and convert my Bitcoin into U.S. dollars. And I don't want the exchange to know who I am. And I just want to get the cash wired out to this account. Well, at the end of the day, wherever you're wiring it to, that bank knows who you are. Now, the exchange has an obligation as a money service business to do it. So regulatorily, they're going to get whacked or shut down. Find or shut down if they don't comply with uh, um, regulations. And those regulations are are just what they are. Now, why does KYC, why is it in place in the first place? It is in place. If you think about it, how we value or get value from it, people can say, Yeah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You know, the minute that their Bitcoins get stolen, they They wish they had it right away. And they're like, (laughs) My Bitcoins got stolen. Figure out where it went. They went to this (laughs) account at this exchange. So things change really quickly when someone mm-hmm. gets ripped off. And I can tell you that, you know, we're a part of many communities that are operating to help people stop their Bitcoins or their other cryptocurrencies from um, moving around the world once they get stolen. Hundreds of people a day, maybe thousands, are having their accounts fished, their private keys compromised, and are losing money. Then the other thing is when an exchange gets hacked, you know, there's 50 million, 100 million, 500 million floating around. People want that stuff stopped and they want to know who's trying to cash it out and throw those people in jail so that's the one of the main reasons that i see value for the crypto community around it which is at the end of the day when things go wrong and your stuff gets stolen you have recourse to figure out who it was and go after them in court and get your money back why the government does it for that reason for sure and criminal investigations yes scams, frauds, etc. But they also do it for, you know, their own reasons, which are typically what they call anti money laundering. So people moving money around and trying to hide it. And for um, sanctions, which is we don't want you sending money to North Korea or Syria or other places, or these individuals who are known to trade in weapons, or um, terrorist financing. Now that's the government defines that in every country. That's what they do. We're just, you know, that's just a fact of why KYC exists.
0: General question here, and this is my last question. Cipher seems to be like the Karen of crypto. It, it, it's always telling on certain aspects of the crypto space. Do you think that what Cipher does for the crypto space is hurting or benefiting the crypto space?
1: Absolutely benefiting. We help people recover funds all the time. We're also helping banks grant access to the payment rails for cryptocurrency companies because at the end of the day, you know, we can move money all the, all around privately. That's fantastic. One of the great benefits of crypto. You know, I got into Bitcoin in 2011. So, I'm an early adopter on, on Bitcoin and I was involved, you know, and, and was a fan of eGold back in 2005. So, I think that's 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 a wonderful thing about it, but at the end of the day, crypto's not worth a penny if it can't be converted into fiat. Bitcoin wasn't worth anything until you could buy a pizza with it. Mm -hmm. It had to be able to be converted into fiat. Otherwise, crypto is not worth anything, it's just a toy. So if we can help get more financial rails connected together that are going to be, unfortunately, have to be compliant with governments because they still rule the world, that helps.
0: Dave, I, I lied to you. Uh, that was not my last question. This is my last question.
1: <laughs> <It's> okay, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you think that these Bitcoin maximalists or these, uto- these crypto utopia people are living in a pipe dream to think that it, we're, you don't need the banks and KYC and you just all we have to do is support the crypto? space.
1: Yeah, I think they're living in utopia, at least in our lifetime. It's a fantasy. I, I think it is. Yeah. Look, I, I don't think it's wrong. I mean, a lot of dreams and fantasies eventually come real. They take a long time to, to come about. I do think meaningful progress can be made in this area. I will say that there are people at FinCEN and other regulators who believe that to be a possible outcome as well Um, so it's not just down to bitcoin maximalists or others who think that you'll be able to buy every single thing with crypto and never go to fiat so it is definitely a possibility for sure i'm not going to say no but i think it's going to take a really long time and there's going to be a lot of forces out there in the economy that you know are real which will prevent it ever from being hundred percent for example central banks being able to issue trillions of dollars. Now we all, you know, enjoy the deflationary nature of Bitcoin and known inflation rates. And that's one of the things that provides that plus scarcity provides value. But you also have to look at, you know, the ability for a central bank to print a trillion dollars, not like I'm a fan, because every dollar I hold loses value, but it keeps businesses open. And it keeps people like from going bankrupt during pandemics. So there are value propositions out there for the traditional banking system.
0: Right on. Dave, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about your KYC report.
1: Matthew, thanks. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. And in other news, the SEC
0: wins a historic lawsuit against Kick over a $100 million ICO. Okay, so this is what happens. KIC first sold its KIN tokens, which is a SAFT, simple agreement future token, to 50 investors. So $50 million in KIN tokens to 50 investors or million a token, but then they had a public sale of the token, which brought an additional $49.2 million dollars. See, the thing is about this is they did this in a time before the SEC actually created rules to govern cryptocurrencies and fundraising projects like this. This was already July 2017. So it was a little bit before the SEC came in and said, hey, we need to think about how to do this. Well, two years later, the SEC charged Kick with violating Section 5 of the Securities Act, which it had offered and sold securities in the U.S. without being registered to do so. (laughs) Kind of, kind of interesting. Well, long story short, SEC won. Duh. Yet this does not end the case. What has to happen now is that the parties both have to jointly submit a proposed judgment for injunctive and monetary relief by October 20th. So there's still more to come. Wait till the 21st and Decrypt will have a story about that. Deutsche Bank says that digital currencies may erode the dollar's role in global finance. Let me sum this up for you it says that digital currencies are going to become stronger, making the US dollar weaker now I'm not talking about in value but I'm talking about in functionality the central bank for digital currencies or the CBDC will be transformative and countries should be prepared says this report these currencies could also erode the dollar's hold on the global financial market most countries are exploring CBDCs with China as one of the most active basically everybody's turning their dollar digital or their currency digital to compete in a global market and with rising competition how will the dollar hold up And finally, if you're shopping for some dark web data that is not yours, well, I I guess I got a little list of what they're going for on the dark web. So most data you can find on the dark web is gonna sell for around five bucks or under. You're not gonna do much with it. You know, maybe it's a Costco card. However, if you wanna go step it up a little bit, you can get a fake ID or a utility bill, and you can get that for around five to $10. However, if you wanna buy like compromised bank accounts, well, then you can get that for 20 to 100 bucks. And if you want the whole suite of somebody else's stolen information, like just the whole thing, so you could do some beautiful fraud, well, you can get that for a hundred to $1,000. And if you want a really good database, some really good, robust data, maybe like of a small town or a city like Florida, let's just say you hack into a city's database in Florida, well, that might cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars, but then you hold the data for every person who lives in that town. Mm-mm-mm. What you could do. So if you are in the market for illegal data, and let me underline that, illegal data, hacked data, stolen data, we've just given you a menu of prices. I don't know why this article even exists, but it is kind of interesting. You can click this link in the description below in our show notes. There you have it, the menu for people's data. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. Tomorrow I have a very special show for you. I am doing the history of... The evolution and the future of the DEX, Decentralized Exchanges. It started with me and Mark. We heard him last week on the show. Mark from XBTC. And we're like, hey, you know what? That'd be a cool show to do is the evolution of the DEX. But then we started adding people to it. And at the end, we had five different people from Loopring to IDEX to, well, (laughs) many others in the space. I can't wait for you to hear all the people we have on the show discussing the evolution of the DEX. These are the people in the space That are creating the future of exchanges.
1: Don't miss it. I'll see you tomorrow. Happy hodling.